How are we doing? Good. Hopefully better than me, man. I just I had a fit a second. My contact's all crooked, and I can't see hardly anything out of this eye now, and just lost it. I mean, like, do you, do you realize what we just saying, church? Like, like, Jesus kicked Satan in the teeth. I mean, whole, who is worth? Yes. I mean, who was? None is worthy. I mean, we win. We're victorious. I mean, there's no sin. There's no nothing that can take us. I mean, we have freedom and, and we are alive in Him and, and death can't even hurt us or touch us. That's who we just sang to. I mean, holy, holy. I mean, He is separate and different than anything that we know or can experience. Oh, like I wanted, if, if your voice wasn't gone, dude, we'd do that again. And again. We'd, that's probably all we'd do this morning. I mean, holy cow. I mean, I just, I, and, and as we were singing that, I just, I had this thought, I can remember Brody as a kid, um, and in the car, like, like we, we were just talking, and I can remember talking to him about, about Jesus coming back on his white horse, tattoo on his thigh, eyes ablaze, his, his mouth is a sword, and he just, he just devours. See, we think in the end there's this battle, there's this epic fight against good and evil, and there's none of that junk. God, Jesus just shows up on his horse, and he speaks as Satan is slayed. That's it. It's over. Like, like we, don't have to, we don't have to suit up and try to figure out how we're going to take him down or can we take this mountain or that mountain. No, no, no. Jesus just shows up and it's over. That's what it is, church. That's the King of kings and Lords of Lords that we just sang about. He is holy. I mean, I think of Isaiah there in the throne room and, and, and God enthronged there in, in that throne room and his, his train fills the whole room and you've got the cherubim flying around singing holy, holy, holy. As we just sang this morning, we joined with all of heaven. To make much of this Jesus who, who conquers for us. Who comes for us. I, oh, that's that wood wet type thing there if we don't get it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I, I, We're just going to pray and see where God takes us this morning. I don't have a clue what we're going to do. Let's, let's pray. God help us. Mm, Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving us a little taste of what heaven's like. Got a little, allowing us, I mean, just to peek in for a moment and be reminded. Oh God, be reminded that you are holy and you are great and you are mighty and you are everything, absolutely everything that we need. And God, I don't have a clue what you're going to do in this place this morning. But I just ask that you would move. I just ask that you would speak. I beg of you, God, to show up. You're here. Don't show up. You're already here. I know that you are. God, we've experienced and we have felt. And we know your word to be true. So, God, I just pray that this morning as your word's proclaimed, God, that you would just help me. Oh, help me. Use me. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for all that you've done through your son, Jesus. God, to provide a way for us. Oh, God, I guess just when we feel the weight of that, and God, what our sin does, we've got to be able to stand here in this place this morning and join with all of heaven and say, holy, holy, holy. God, help us feel that weight. And we pray. Amen. I'm going to try to preach. We'll see what happens. Um. We're going to be in Jonah, Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 1 is where we'll be at. Um, again, you can follow along on the app if you want worship and sermon notes there. It'll um, kind of give you uh, a direction where we're headed this morning. 
uh, as we walk throughout that. Last week, we just, um, man, we looked at Jonah's prayer. He's in the belly of this great fish, and what we see in that moment is him cry out to God. Finally gets to that place of, of desperation where he, he cries out to God. He turns his eyes uh, to God, and God does a, a mighty, uh, mighty work there. I'm not going to have time to recap all of that, um, but you can, you can go back and, and watch that on our webpage or our app if you missed that. Uh, but my hope and my prayer for us is as we walk through this book, we'll just see that there's so much more to it than just being about this rebellious man called of God. That, that there's so much just meaty, good stuff in this book. More so than just a guy getting eaten by a fish. But what God did in the heart of that man, what God did in the heart of this city, what God, what God does throughout this. I mean, there are 47 verses in this short four-chapter book that we're walking through. And there is so much just, just, just meat to chew on and to eat and to take in and to, to learn and grow as we, as we explore and walk through. And another one of my hopes is this, is, is as, as we do this and we go verse by verse, you'll, you'll just see how easy it is to read the Scriptures. Just to pick up the Bible and, and to begin to, to look at it and walk through it and, and read it. And, and when words jump out to you, just explore those words. Walk out and see what those words mean and see what, see what the heart of God is and how it's connected to Him there. And, and just allow that, those little bunny trails or rabbit trails to just take you to places where, where you just get to experience and grow all the more in your relationship with God. I mean, church, this, this, is, how, this is how easy it is. Just to open it up and to start to walk through and to look at and to see what God's saying and what He's doing. And so my hope is as we, as we teach through books of the Bible here, you'll, you'll see that. And you'll, you'll get a hunger and a desire to do that yourself. There'll be this longing to just, just, just get in the Word of God and see what He has to say. See what He wants to accomplish and do in your heart and through you. That's my hope. And so what we're going to see this morning as we open up Jonah 3 here in a minute is we're just going to see some familiar words. These, these are just words that are echoed that, uh, from Jonah chapter 1 that he received from God. But there's a big difference between chapter 1 and chapter 3. And it's that Jonah's been through some stuff. Jonah's lived a little bit. Jonah's rebelled a little bit. And in that, God comes after him. And so God's gotten his attention now. His attitude has changed a bit. His heart has changed a bit. And he's at a, a different place. And so we're going to see God uh, just do a mighty, mighty work here in him throughout this, the rest of the, the book, and see him just work on Jonah. And so my hope for us this morning is this, though, is that, that God would grip us in such a way that, to give us a heart for missions and for proclaiming the gospel in response to his mercy and grace as we see God here give Jonah a second chance. As we've heard on the screen already, as Patty shared, her heart is, is God is a God is a God of second chances, third chances, for He's a God of grace and mercy. And so my hope is that we'll we'll see that this morning. And, and that the Holy Spirit would work on our hearts in this place. And maybe there's some of us in this room that, that needs a second chance. That that needs a do-over. And so my hope is that this, this text is encouraging. My hope that this te this text just encourages your heart. That it presses you all the more into the presence of Jesus and that he reminds you of how great he truly is. That, he, that, that he, will, he will just push you to him all the more. And so as we see here, God's going to give another opportunity to Jonah to, to live out and to do what he asks. And I believe that the God that we see here in the scriptures is the exact same God that we serve today. The exact same God that we sang to today. And so what I would ask you is this, what second chance are you in need of? What second chance is God giving you or maybe making you aware of? What is something in your life or, or something that's going on where, where God has, has pressed you on and says, no, 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 I need you to go this way and you keep rebelling. No, I need you to do this and you keep going the opposite way. No, I need you to be here and you don't. 
So maybe what area of your life is God pressing you on this morning as a way of him giving you opportunity for a second chance? So let, let, let's, let's jump in. Jonah 3, one says this. The first point is this. God, a God of second chances. A God of second chances. This is what we see, Jonah 3.1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And, and I just, I love that. I, I don't know about you, but, but when I read the scripture like this, I just, little words stick out to me or little things stick out to me. And, and this was one of those things. And, and again, what we see here is God giving Jonah a second chance. And so what I'm thankful of is that we serve a God that is persistent. We serve a God that doesn't just quit. Well, those fools, whatever, and just, no, 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 he continues to come after he continues to pursue. He continues to seek. This, I mean, God just keeps coming, doesn't he? Why in this story? Why in this moment? It's because there's a group of people who are in desperate need of, of his mercy, his grace. And these people don't even realize they're in desperate need of his mercy and his grace. And God still pursues. God still goes after. Well, because God knows that if they die in their condition, if they die in their place, that they spend eternity separated from him. Eternity separated from the God of, of love, mercy, grace, the, the, the creator God, separated from him for eternity in a place called hell. God knows that, and so he wants his message to be made known to a people that need it. And so he pursues and he goes after. And so God's heart is always to rescue and redeem. God's heart is to go after. His, his grace burns red heart for those outside of him. And so what we know from God is that his will will not be short-circuited by a disobedient prophet. He, he calls his prophet, he calls his boy to go tell him, and his boy decides not to go tell him, and he runs the opposite direction. But what does God do? He still goes after, does he not? He's persistent in Jonah's life. No, Jonah, I've got a calling on your life. There's something that I need you to do. I want you to do. I want to invite you in to be a part of. Now let's get with it. And what does he do? He goes after Jonah. And so God reminds the prophet of the calling he placed on him. It's, it's almost as what we're seeing here in chapter 3 is if God's saying, oh, okay, Jonah, let, let's just go back to the starting line. Let's try this whole thing over again. Let's, let, let's, let's get repositioned, realigned, and let, let, let's go after what, what, what I need you to do. Why? Because God knows what's best for us, doesn't he? I mean, we think we know, but we don't have a clue. If you're the one that, that speaks it into existence and you're there before the beginning and you're there far after the end and you know everything in the middle because you're not bound by time, limited like you and I, not finite like, like us, but you are well aware of all things at all times. I mean, I mean, we think we know ourselves. We think we know what's best for us. And in all reality, the God of the universe, the creator God, I mean, he knows the exact time we're in, the, the day that we're in, the struggles that we're fighting the things that entangle us, he knows. And he's walking with us through it. He's pursuing even in the midst of. That's what I love about this story is that God doesn't give up. He continues to press. He continues to go after. But God knows what's best for us. We struggle with having his heart for all people, don't we? We, we struggle with that. And his heart helps us find our way back as we see here in the book of Jonah. And so what God's going to do throughout the rest of this, this story in chapter 3 is he's, he's going to make some things clear. First thing is, is where he's going to go preach. He's just going to remind him of that great city he wants him to go to. And then he's going to give him the source of his message and what his message needs to be. That's what we're going to see played out. So let's look at the, the message of hope that, that God gives Jonah here in verse 2. As again, it's just a repeat from, from, from chapter 1 where he says this, Arise, go. 
in that, in that language there, in that word go, it's immediate. It's, it's like, don't wait. He's, he's recommissioning him again. He's like, okay, Jonah, I told you, and I'm going to tell you again, go, this is important. You, you need to do this now. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so what we know from chapter 1 is the exact same thing. Jonah's been commissioned to announce God's judgment. To announce God's judgment. Not a glitzy and glamorous type message. Not one that's going to get a lot of people shouting or excited. But he's just going to tell them the truth about them. He's going to tell them the truth about God. In church, for us today, we have the same message to proclaim. God has commissioned us as followers of Jesus to have that same message. To call out against. To proclaim the good news of the gospel. See, our message of hope is in the proclamation of the gospel. See, my hope would be this, is that it's our DNA. That it's innate in who we are. That it's just the natural conversation of our mouth. That, that we've been uh, so moved and so changed and so enamored and so in love with and so uh, shaped and molded by that love of what God has done for us through His Son Jesus that it's just the natural conversation out of our mouth. That we just get to that place where, where, where Jesus is just a thing we come, like, we just comes out like, like our Clemson football or our uh, kids or our uh, favorite pastimes or our hobbies. But it would be uh, just conversation about who Jesus is and what he's done. Why? Because he's the love of our life. And what I've learned about is this, is what we love we talk about. What we love we tell about. What we're enamored by we let know. And so my hope and my prayer is that we get to that place where our DNA is to tell people about Jesus. Where it's just a natural overflow in conversation with us. It's just a natural. People will know us by that. Oh God, how they would know us by that instead of other goofy little things that don't matter. Man, man, that guy, he loves Jesus. Now, now he may be a little crazy. He may be a little... He may, he's going to say some things, but... Just hear him out for a second. Just hang with him for a moment. He's going to say that, but he's also going to say he's going to do it. Like, he's really going to care for you. He's really going to do the things that he says he's going to do. He's really going to act like this. He's really going to talk like this. He's really going to respond like that. That would just be the, the natural outpour of who we are as people of God. The way that we live, the way that we do. Man, that is what we've been commissioned with, church. That's what we've been called to. Every single one of us in this room who bears the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Man, you're ministers of the gospel. You're ministers of reconciliation is what the scriptures would teach. Every single one of us. Not just a guy who stands on a stage and proclaims every week. Not just a guy who gets up here and, and sings too. But, but every single one of us in this room who take the name of Jesus has been commissioned with this calling. So he goes on in verse 3 and says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Man, how things have changed finally gets him to the place where he's going to be obedient. And so we as followers of Jesus are expected of the same thing. To be obedient, to follow after, to do whatever Jesus commands us and calls us to. I mean, he is king. He is king. So when he speaks, what do we do? We listen. When he speaks, we do. And I know it's hard, especially in this world that we live in, that's, that's so quick to just argue or, or, or show me proof or, or, or this or that. Or we like, to, we like to debate or we like to go around. But what I've learned from the scriptures, when we make Jesus Lord of our life, when he awakens us to that reality of our great need for him and he saves us, we don't get a say in the matter. We don't get a say. God doesn't ask my opinion or my thoughts. And you know why? Because he don't need them. 
He does not need them. Have you ever played that game, man, if I was God? This is what I would do. Only to watch it play out days, usually probably minutes, hours, days, months later. If I was God, this is what I would do. I think there's even a movie, Bruce Almighty maybe, about that. A horrible movie, awful movie. I don't encourage you watching it. But, but it's just, he gets to be God. And he gets to make some decisions. And he does an awful job, which I think is a great portrayal of who we would be if we were God. I mean, he doesn't need our help in what to do next. He doesn't need our input, our intel. Well, God, if you, just, if you knew kind of the situation down here for a moment... If you was aware of like my work situation or if you were aware of this, this crazy thing that we're going through, this thing called a pandemic, like, like God, if you just step out of heaven for a moment. No, he, he doesn't need that. He knows. He is aware. He is aware. And so he doesn't need our help in figuring out what to do next. He doesn't need our advice. He doesn't need our commentary. And so for us as followers of Jesus, there are just, there's some things that we just don't have to think about or pray about when it comes to being in Christ. Like to live a holy life. Like we're called to live holy lives. Lives separated to, to the cross. To the glory and renown of Jesus. We, we don't have to pray about that. The way, the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we do should run through that filter always. How would Jesus be? How would Jesus do? What would he say? How would he act? How would he respond? And my fear starts that we've done a horrific job of, of living out that, that question. We don't have to pray about it. We would act and do and talk and be like he would be. Another thing that we don't have to pray about or think about is to love our neighbors. And I'm not just talking about the one that lives next door to you. I'm talking about the, the one that you work with or the one that, uh, that you, you go to the ball field with or the one that's on your kid's team, that neighbor, that, to love them, to care for them, to, to treat them like Jesus treats you. It's not something that we have to think about or pray about. Another command in Scripture that, that he doesn't need our help with, that he's just commanded and given us to do and be obedient is to take care of the orphan and the widows in their distress. To take care of those who can't take care of themselves. To love on those who need loving and grace and mercy poured out upon them. I mean, our brother James tells us that. To take care of the orphans and the widows in their distress as they're struggling, as they're trying. We, we step in and we help. We show the love of Christ. We serve. I mean, I love, I love in the book of Acts how the church starts out. What did it say? It says that they would sell, as need arise, they would sell their possessions while to meet the needs of the people. I mean, they cared for each other that way. I mean, they loved their neighbor in that manner, that form, that fashion. I mean, nowadays we're just tickled to death that we've got 1,500 friends on Facebook. I mean, we really think we've accomplished something and we've done something. Well, I put out a, a, a cute little status and they liked it, so I'm, I'm loving them. That's not love. No, 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 go sit down at their dinner table. Go find out where they're hurting. Go physically pray for them. Wrap your arms around them. Love on them. Serve them in a way. Take them in a way. We can do numbers and numbers and numbers of things to show how we do that. And another thing that we don't have to pray about is, is preaching the word, proclaiming the word, as I've already said. And I'm not talking about getting a pulpit and coming in here and screaming at everybody for an hour. No, no, I'm, I'm talking about proclaiming. Preach means to proclaim, to tell of the gospel, to tell of the good news of Jesus Christ, to have those conversations, to let people know about Jesus. It's not something we have to pray about. It should just be things that we're doing and living out and being obedient to. Make disciples is another one. We don't have to think about, we don't have to pray about. When it comes being in Jesus is to make disciples, to raise up. 
And then look as he continues. He goes on in verse 3 and he says, Now, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So, so Nineveh is one of the capitals of, of the Assyrian Empire. And so what we know about Nineveh, I've told you a little bit already, but just to go a little deeper, they, this is where Jonah's going in. This is who he's going to infiltrate and share with. Tell this glorious message of God's judgment. It says they, worship, they worshipped Ishtar, who's the goddess of love and war. So they've got other little, little G-gods that they worship, that they try to appease, that they try to uh, pay off, that they try to, to do things for, to, to earn their favor, to have done for them. There, there's many, many other little gods that they worship there in Nineveh. The great city, as I already said, was known for its wars, its brutality, its cruelty. It was just a very dark place, a dark group of people, lost, in need of. It was believed that they had a population of somewhere around 600,000. 600,000 people. God takes notice and he is broken over and he tells Jonah to go tell him. Go tell him. 600,000 people. It was, a, it was about 55 miles in circumference. 55 miles. That's where Jonah is going. So he would have traveled around the city proclaiming what God said. Telling of the message that God told him to say. And then verse 4 says this, Jonah began to go into the city. Going a day's journey, he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So not an, not an easy message, is it? Especially for a place that we've already talked about. I mean, look, look at their dynamics. Look at, look at their heart. Look at their bent. Look at how they are. I mean, that's where he's going to call out. I mean, a, a very tough crowd. A, a very difficult, dark place to go and, and, and tell this kind of message. To, to tell the truth of their need for God. But I just want to point out, church, here is that we never need to forget how serious God is about sin. Don't ever forget how serious God is about sin. I mean, he'd had enough when it had come to the wickedness and sinfulness of Nineveh, and so, so much so that he says, in 40 days, I'm going to handle it. In 40 days, I'm going to do something about it. So may we never, ever think that God don't, don't care or he's okay with sin. We need to know that there's coming a day. There's coming a day. Uh, look at 2 Peter 3, 9 real fast. It says this. Just, just listen to God's heart for a moment. He said that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you. We serve a God that's patient. We serve a God that's long-suffering. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. I mean, that's the heart of our God. What I love the first part. He's not slow like we think slow. He hasn't forgotten like we think or we forget. Oh, oh no, 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 no. He, he hasn't done any of that. Why? Because he's, he's patient toward. He's patient toward. He's long-suffering toward. His heart is for as many to come to know him. His longing and desire. And so God gave a message to Jonah. And what we know about that message is that Jonah wasn't allowed to improvise. He wasn't allowed to improvise. He, he wasn't allowed to declare his own opinions. He didn't, he didn't have to guess what to say. No, no God gets, gives him the message to say in church. I just think we need to get back to that. We need to get back to that. We need to go back to the scriptures a few weeks ago as we looked at that as God's holy infallible word. We've got all we need to say right there. 
We don't need to try to make up more stuff. We don't need to try to make it more palatable. We don't need to, need to try to, 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 to do any of that type. We just need to do it in love. Speak truth in love. Speak grace and mercy in love. Just like we saw in the video earlier. And if we would be committed to, and we see a need, and an opportunity, and a door cracked, and we step into that, and we love and care for people, and as we love and care for people, we have conversation with that centers around the truth and the reality of the gospel and the brokenness of the heart. And God will do the rest. God will work. God will move. See, we need to be people of the gospel, and we need to get people to the gospel. If you know nothing else, if you learn nothing else, if you're not an expert on anything else, be that of the gospel. Be that of the message of the cross. Be that of the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. That's all we have to do. And what I've learned in my life and my ministry, you don't even have to be good at it. I mean, you guys keep coming back every week. I mean, there are other better places to go, but you, you keep coming back. And what I've learned and what I've seen is this. I can remember numerous times places I've been to preach and proclaim, and I walk away thinking, good luck, Lord. I hope you can do something with that mess. And what does he do? He saves and he rescues and he redeems and he moves. Why? Because it's, it's not the one that's doing it or the one that's proclaiming it. It's the one who saves and rescues and redeems. It's the one who draws. It's the Holy Spirit's work. Scott, don't save anyone. No one in this room saves anybody. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of, of God. That's the work of the Word. We just got to tell them. I mean, you never know what God will do with you never know what God will do with. The third thing I want to look at is this. Is I want to look at the heart's response to this message. Look at how the people of Nineveh respond here. Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh did what? They believed God. They believed God. What this tells me, church, and what this lets me know is this, is that they just need to hear the truth. The world just needs to hear the truth. I mean, it hears everything else, does it not? The problem is I'm afraid that we've been muted or we've been silenced or we're just not speaking up. We're just not sharing. We're just not saying. But we have been given the incredible privilege and honor as people of God to proclaim that message. As people of God to make known. See, that was the very driving force behind this, this series. As I prayed and as I just kind of walked through Jonah a little bit and as I thought about it and as I just seek the Lord. And as I'd be teaching through this book, that was my hope, is that we, would, that we would get a passion and a desire like none other to share the gospel. That, that missions would be on the forefront of our heart. That, that an opportunity to take the message of Jesus to the nations. I, I mean, think about that for a moment. That, that we have been commissioned by God to go tell. To go tell. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can remember me as a kid whenever something would come up and I'd have the opportunity to tell the news. Like, I couldn't wait. Like, my sister and I, she sat back there, she'll tell you. Like, like we would argue and we would fight about who gets to tell the thing first. She'd always beat me because she's sneaky and she's just, sisters are mean, but no, I'm just joking. I'm not joking, but anyway, that's, that's, I'll get in trouble later. But, but there, was, there, was a, there was an excitement and an anxiousness to be able to share and tell. Like, I see it in my boys. I mean, they can't wait to just tell the good news of something. They can't wait to share something. They can't wait to, to make it known. I mean, that should be our heart, church. I mean, we get to go tell people about Jesus. 
And the great news about that is he'll save people that's doing it. I mean, that's the crazy thing. He's promised to rescue and redeem, and he's going to do it. And missions, that, that's the heartbeat behind this book. That's what I loved about this, is that this would commission and call us all the more to get outside the walls of this church. All the more to get outside the walls of this church. See, see, I believe personally that it's just as important what we do outside of this wall, outside of these walls Monday, uh, Monday through Saturday as it is as what we do inside these walls on a Sunday morning for two hours. Man, man, we have got the great privilege and honor of taking what we know here and telling the lost world about. I mean, in our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's what we want to do over here. We just want to love on people. No, no strings attached. Can we just pray for you? Can we help you out? Is there anything you got going on? You need it? We change the light bulb. Anything, anything? We're out here right now. We just want to get to know you. That's what we've been commissioned with church. Verse 5, he goes on, he says this. He says, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to, of them to the least of them. I mean, the people are broken. I mean, they hear this message and, and, and God shakes them in such a way that, that, that they're broken over it. There's a time of, of mourning. Look as he goes on, verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. I mean, what a response from the king. The leader of the city, the leader of this place, the highest of rank of all peoples, join in with them in mourning and brokenness. See, sackcloth is just a, a coarse, uncomfortable material that a repentant person might wear in order to demonstrate before God that they're no longer comfortable in their sin. And ashes is another element of humility there. And so they put on those elements to show their brokenness, to show that they're uncomfortable, to show that, 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 they, that they're changing. And then in verse 7, look at what the king does. So he issues a proclamation and publishes it through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in his hand. I mean, this is the king saying this. This is the, I want us to get, get a picture of what this would be like. I want us to feel the weight and the brevity of this for a moment. It would be like we leave and all of a sudden all of our phones go off when we get one of those important breaking messages. You know those like, those, the, just the, the, the buzzing thing that you're just like, oh, what's, what's happening? Like the house coming down. What's going on? And on it we flip over and what we see is that there's going to be a special broadcast today at 3 o'clock. Every single channel that we have. Every channel. Everything. Is going to have this broadcast, and it's going to be our president addressing the country. And to have him come on at 3 o'clock today, and for his message to be like this, America, we've, lost, we've missed it. Oh. Um, uh, 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 and you can just kind of tell in his demeanor, and as he presents, and as he speaks and presents, uh, like just panic in his heart. I mean, you could, you could just tell that, man, there, there's something physically going on with him that, that has just wrecked him. He's a little shaky, a little kind of, a little, little, little struggling to get it out. But, but for him to, to, to be broken in this moment, say, America, we, we've missed it. Oh, dear God, we've missed it. Man, and for him to repent of his sin on national TV, only to say, I want to bring all of us in. This is what we're going to do. Man, man, we, we have overstepped God. We have pushed him aside. We, we, have, we have perverted him. We have done what we want to do. We've rebelled. We are, and call us for what we are. Sinful and wicked and deserving of God's judgment. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if the president says that? I mean, how crazy that would be. And I don't care what party they belong to because both parties need it. 
That would be a good place for an amen, but we'll get, we'll get to there one day. Stick with me. But for him to come on the TV and, and to do that and to, to give this speech and to say, you know what, we're not even going to wait till tomorrow. Because immediate after this speech, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be some things put into place, and this is what I'm going to call all the American people to do and be about. And there's going to be repentance. There's going to be brokenness. We're going to seek the face of God for what might seem like the first time in who knows how long. And we're going to be broken, and we're going to turn back to God because we are in desperate, desperate need. I mean, can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine? And he would call for fasting and turning back to God? I mean, holy, I can't even get my mind around what that would be like. Well, he can't do it. Why can't he do that? If God gets a hold of a boy, God can do whatever he wants to do in somebody, and we'll respond once we see the grandeur and glory and greatness of our God, will we not? That should be our demeanor, church, all the time, always. I mean, that's what it would have been like here. So why are these people so receptive? Why? See, there's historical data outside of the Scriptures that that may kind of shed some light on what has happened here in Nineveh. See, during the reign of Ashur-Dan III from 772 B.C. to 755, they had a severe plague. There was a very severe plague that took place. There was a solar eclipse and possibly even an earthquake that had literally and figuratively shook the Assyrian people. And this is precisely around the time of, of, of Jonah when it was according there in, in 2 Kings chapter 14. So do you see what God's doing? God's pursuing even in that. In the elements of nature, He pursues even in that. So they're a little on edge. They're, they're a little shook. They're a little uncertain. There's some things that God has done to set up and get ready and prepare the heart for. I mean, fear will do a number on people, will it not? Fear is not a bad motivator. Fear is not a bad motivator at all, as long as it's put into perspective, into place like it, like it should be. So let's talk a minute for here and now. What are we in the midst of? What are, what are we coming out of? 2020, the greatest year we've ever had, right? What if... Stepping away from Scripture, this is Scott. What if it's God just setting up some things for the church? Mm. Mm. What if God's working and doing? I don't know about you, but the people that I get to talk to, there's some panic in the camp. And there's some great opportunity. And there's some conversation that can be had that probably never, ever would have been entertained before. Man, God is softening hearts. God is causing panic. God is causing fear. God is, God is moving and doing in such a way as where I believe for us, church, He's setting us up. I mean, He's given us the opportunity to have conversation. He, I think He's making it easier for us. Absolutely, it was a horrific year. Absolutely, it hurt. Absolutely, we lost. Absolutely, we bled. Absolutely, we struggled. But, guess who was with me through it all? Guess who sustained and took care of me through it all? Guess who never left me through it all? Guess what he did? Oh, church, the conversation we can have, the opportunity that that we have right now in this moment. I mean, I just, I see a parallel here. 
I mean, God does that. God sets up. God opens doors. God allows to happen. Why? So that His people can step in and have opportunity to show and model and be. And look at the king's response in verse 9. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we not perish. So the king puts his hope in the fact that they had had heard the words of the prophet and acted swiftly upon what the prophet had said, upon that warning And then let's look at this to close out in verse 10. God's response. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And what a God we serve. What a God we serve. And we can get lost in this if we're not careful. But what we know about God is that he is immutable and never changing. He never changes his mind. So how is that possible that God would relent? That he would turn away from his fierce anger? And what I would press you on is this, is that God knows everything from eternity past. God decrees all things from eternity. He knows everything that he is going to do. And the answer is found in his immutability itself. See, God never changes his mind about the truth and about his character. He always acts consequently with himself. And so what the repentance of Nineveh did not cause God to do was to change his mind about truth. It caused him to change his mind about the consequences of the truth. That's what it did. It was man who aligned himself with God, not God aligning himself with man. God has a standard and expectation. And when that standard and expectation is not met, there is consequences. The bar never gets dropped by God. The bar is there. It's when man comes to it, then God works and God moves. He always, always, always reacts righteously to the actions of man in, in, a, in a pure and contrite heart. See, sinfulness on part of the man always produces righteous judgment. Repentance always produces the mercy of God. And that's what we see God do here. That's how we see God move in this moment. So as Franklin comes back to lead us, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what God stirred in your heart. I don't know if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking of maybe opportunities or you're reminded of of things that that God has pressed upon your heart to do, pressed upon your heart to live out, pressed upon your heart to have conversation with, pressed upon your heart to go serve in, pressed upon your heart. I don't know what He has. I don't know maybe if there's a sin that you just keep running back to, running back to, running back to. I don't know what it is. But what I know is this, is that our God is a God of second chances. Man, that's what's so encouraging about this word. You are never too far gone, church. You can't out the love and mercy and grace of our God. You can't do it. Because then that would make you God. And what I know is that we're not God and we will never be God. We're crummy gods. Oh, man, but he is a gracious, loving, good God. And what I know about him is this, is that you're here this morning. You're breathing, you're alive. He's got a purpose and he's got a mission for you. And right now is your second chance. Right now. Maybe you've been here week in and week out or you've watched online or you're watching online or you'll watch online. And maybe you just feel God prompting and calling and wooing you to himself. And so maybe this morning for the first time it's one of those things that say, now I'm going to take a step in salvation, in relationship with Jesus. I see that I'm sinful and I'm in need of, in need of a Savior. 
Maybe that's the second chance that he's given you this morning. Or maybe it's to make right something that's been wrong or to live out something that you haven't lived out. Will it be hard? Absolutely it's hard. You know how hard it'll be to go to work tomorrow and be like, hey, I, just, I need to pull everybody in for a second. I need to tell you something. All these people work in my cubicle area. I'm sorry. I've just, I've just been a lousy example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I am sorry, but I'm going to tell you right now what I'm going to do is I'm going to do everything in my power with the Holy Spirit empowering me to live out what Jesus is like. Well, that, Yeah, that'll be hard. And yeah, you'll be looked at and, and probably thought a fool. Because they know you. But what I've learned is that when we live that way, accountability has just been heightened. And opportunity has just been given. You get to go prove who Jesus is now. Go live it out, go do it. Or have that conversation. I don't know what God's going to stir in your heart, but, but hear me, He is a God of second chance. And His mercies are new daily. His grace is ever-present. If we'll just turn from our wicked ways, seek the face of the Lord, be broken over our sin, and just lay our body out as a vessel of His and allow Him to direct and dictate because I don't know what God's turning in your heart, but all I know is this, is that He wants to move and He wants to use. And He has created you. And I know this is so churchy, and we're just going to be churchy for a minute. Because churchy's not bad. If it's done in the right way, with the right heart, and we live it out and do. I mean, He's created us, and He has formed you, and He has fashioned you, and He has placed you right where you're at. For a specific moment. To do for Him and to be a representative of Him where you're at in your subdivision like you don't live there just by chance you don't work where you work just by chance I mean God's bigger than just chances than your little chances than your little hopings I mean, he's got purpose for you there I mean, that's your Nineveh that's your opportunity and that's where you can go and share and tell and make known and I don't care how rebellious you've been have, have, you, have you ran 2,000 miles the other direction endangered everybody else's life on the boat Cause the storms to rage and freak them out like crazy? Or they finally are so scared that they, they pray to God won't do something to them for throwing them into the ocean only to have the sea quit? Or have you been like David? None of us is as bad as David. Paul? Hey, Paul's killing Christians for goodness sakes. Hey, Paul's sinful and wicked and God saves him. David, I mean, David and Bishop, you know that whole story, right? He looks upon her, he loves, he wants. I see, he's pretty, I want. So he goes after her, he gets her, he knocks her up. And then what does he do? He calls her husband home. And he's out fighting the battle. He calls her husband home. Hey, go lay with your husband. I can't do it, my men are out on the field. Man, what a, what a guy. I gotta get back out with my, my, my men. They're fighting and battling for us. And David's like, well, crud, what am I gonna do? Only to throw him back out in the field and say, hey, everybody just pull back and let, 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 let my man go. To have what have him killed. He's a murderer, adulterer, lustful, wicked. And what does God say about him? A man after his own heart. And that's the God we serve. That's the God that pursues. That's the God that comes after. That's the God that offers forgiveness and redemption to the worst of the Ninevehs. And church, the great news is this, is that every one of us was in that place. He rescued and calls us out and sets us in a new direction.
So I don't know what God stirred in your heart. I don't know what he's spoken to you this morning. But what I want to say is this, man. This altar is here. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm here. Austin will be here. We've got trustees. Eric, we, we would count it an honor to be able just to love on you and pray for you and walk with you in any way we can through whatever you're going through. You think you got stories? Man, we got stories. You think you've been through some stuff? We've been through some stuff. There's nothing that scares us. We know our God is big and that he can do it in insurmountable thing. So you respond as God leads. If you would say, Father, we love you, Jesus, we need you. God, move. Thank you for this sweet, sweet story of hope and redemption for two people. God, two people get it. Two, we get it in the prophet, the man called by you. God, how that relates to us this morning in this place. How we've rebelled and not done what you've asked us to do. God, forgive us of our sin. Move in this place. Bring us to a place of repentance. And God, for the heart here that maybe don't know you as Lord and Savior, the Nineveh. God, how you come after and you look to rescue and redeem. God, if we would just turn to. So God, do a work. Save the lost. Encourage those in need. It's for your glory and your honor. And we pray. Amen. 